Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of Vinyl and Vision. Here we are with episode 103. Today's very special guest is Ev Gold of the band Cinema Cinema from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, what you're listening to is a short song off of their latest album, um, Meow Near. Uh, the song is called Walk Into the Ocean. At the end of the episode, I will play a short clip of another song off of this album called War on You. That one is a more hardcore song. So between these two, you kind of span a, uh, a little bit of the the uh, array that is cinema cinema and uh, what their existing musical landscape looks like or feels like uh, this new album Meow Near uh, features a uh, collaborator Thor Harris he is very much a part of this album uh, and uh, also another important part of this album is that it was recorded at BC Studios with uh, Martin BC uh, who was a former guest of the show here, uh, episode 98, I think he was. I can't remember. But it was somewhere right around there. Yeah, Ev is a pretty uh, amazing guy. Uh, super high energy. Uh, a lot of fun. So we had a great talk, a uh, great conversation based around uh, Fugazi's uh, In on the Kill Taker from 1993. Ev was great with sharing some very pertinent information about that album about uh, his own personal uh, stories uh, involving that album, uh, including uh, working with Don Ziantara, the engineer of that album, at Inner Ear Studios, where Inner the Kill Ticker was recorded. So he's been in that studio, he's worked with the engineer, um, and he's had a, a great, great experience with the whole thing, and if you stay tuned, you'll hear all about it, and it's pretty pretty enlightening and especially considering the album we're talking about it's just it just kind of makes it kind of ties it all together very nicely so um i'd like to say thanks to ev for taking the time and doing this with me and uh, i'd like to thank you guys for tuning in um if you like the show all that we ask that you do here is please do all the things you do with the internet like share subscribe rate review all that happy horseshit we appreciate it immensely uh if you care to help us out in a financial way we don't do that Patreon bullshit. We don't ask you for money. We sell things. Uh, that we, we, we run the business, PsychicStatic.net. You can go there. Um, we sell the stuff uh, from our label. So you can buy my merch. You can buy uh, albums or records that are in the store uh, on there on the website. All of it goes towards doing this, and it helps us out. So if you can do that, we'd uh, really appreciate it. Thank you very much, and enjoy the show. Hello. 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 <laughs> Ev Gold. I don't I never know what the fuck is going on either. So we're in the same boat. But I'm Ev. I'm Ev Gold and and I'm here and it's nice to uh, to meet you. Hello. Hi. Nice to meet you too. And uh, I'm okay. happy to uh, to get wild and talk a lot of stuff. Yeah. I I was kind of looking forward to that. Yeah. I I I sense you are a wild man. <laughs> I have my moments. I have my moments. Uh, could be I, a that, bit of that was a what? vast generalization. I don't know if I should have said man. Everyone, you know, I should have assumed pronouns. It's, you know, I mean, it's nice to, you know, be um, specifically aware of how our words affect others. Right. Uh, man was man was okay and is okay in okay. this instance uh, here and now. Yes. Cool. Well, it's a pleasure to meet you. Honestly, it's, uh, I've really looking, been looking forward to this because uh, I've been listening to your band a lot. I've been listening to basically everything you have out right now. 
Okay. Okay. Um, there's, there's a a vast. There it's is. A, yeah, it's, it's a vast uh, array of sounds, uh, but but let me not interrupt you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that's okay. Actually, you're you're correct in saying that it is a vast array because there's a spectrum in addition to, uh, you know, a a large uh, sum like a large discography. <clears throat> uh, yeah, we, it's been uh, it's been 15 years now um, that my cousin and myself, my cousin Paul, uh, and myself have been um, the core duo that makes up cinema cinema we've been making music for a while um yeah. so um we, we've really tended to that garden a lot we go there a lot for our play for our uh for our sanity and uh there are a lot of fruits we pick from the trees if you've been checking out the catalog i know our band camp has more or less uh, i think almost all seven or maybe six of the seven records the first record 2008's exile baby uh, isn't on the band camp, but it's like post hardcore or it's rock. And then one point it's like, it goes to like more punk, but uh, mm -hmm. a saxophone shows up and then suddenly it's all out jazz. Then it's like time warp ambient. What is this jazz? Then it's this new album. That's, uh, that's kind of a, a mix of some different elements. So, uh, yeah, we, yeah. uh, we don't really follow one direct, um, sound per se you know i think when we yeah. first started uh my cousin paul and myself as, as a duo one of the things we saw in the power and our chemistry and how comfortable we felt getting wild and loose with things we wanted to not limit ourselves to a specific genre per se um mm. it might have been it might be an easier path to choose a, a certain genre you maybe you can get some more traction and be a part of a certain community and get on certain bills and there's something to be said about it um mm. but it just fit us a bit more to keep ourselves really free um sure. and uh yeah so we've kind of been all over the place pinging and ponging um yeah. sonically well, it works for you too i mean and and i noticed that because you know I, I was you know going through all of the records and some of the uh eps and so forth um everything everything is on apple music as far as i can tell as far as I can tell, everything's there. So I listened to you know the very first recording to to your very latest, and uh, and I the first thing I noticed before listening was you know looking at all of the records and kind of pulling them up. Every single one of them was like you said, uh, defined as a different genre, which I was just like, this is pretty weird. But you know, and it's interesting for me because I'm a musician and I love music, and so uh, I am not um, close minded to any genre. I mean, I like a vast array of things, and therefore your band is kind of perfect for that because I can go all the way back to the beginning and, you know, kind of experience the more punk hardcore influenced version of your, of cinema cinema to now what is this new, um, jazz fusion, ambient electro punk thing. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Very good. I like that. We might have to use that. that that's go for app, it. App, okay. that's, that's an astute approximation. Yeah, I mean, and so and so now one of the uh, components that makes the new record the new record is incorporating uh, a a collaborator, Thor Harris. Yes, yes, that's uh, definitely something that um, left its um, left its fingerprints on the record. Uh, <clears throat> it um, kind of pushed the direction of the record. It was the involvement of the collaborator, um, our third head on the three-headed monster for this album, Thor Harris. N notable Thor Harris, uh, Swans, um, where such fans of Swans um, 
holy cow, the iteration that he was a part of, the 2010 through 2017 um, version of the band, um, it's stellar to say the least, uh, mm. just mind-blowing. Um, we saw them a number of times at the times that we, we, we saw them. We never thought we'd ever collaborate with anyone on stage. Um, it was a mind blow to have the uh, connectivity occur yeah. between us and Thor. But Thor definitely um, affected our entire process. Uh, we invited him in to collaborate on the entire affair. Like um, the, we didn't prepare stuff and say, Thor, you know, we're going to record in a studio and send you tracks over the internet and lay down something. It was the three of us, let's put our hands, all hands on deck here uh, and create. And that was what kind of um, inspired the uh, the title of the record. We didn't want to per se uh, have the record uh, say be cinema cinema featuring Thor Harris. We 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 like to vacillate between all these genres and sounds, uh, all under the umbrella of cinema cinema. Um, and moreover, we wanted to respect the fact that Thor is notable, uh, and mm -hmm. we didn't want to have it feel like it was exploitative in any way. We were really sensitive about that. He didn't ask us to be, uh, but we just felt how could we properly honor the fact that Thor is involved uh, in the title somehow. And um, it was my cousin, the drummer, Paul, who had mentioned uh, Mjolnir being the term for Thor's hammer. We were in the midst of talking about how the band had a different swing. There was like a different lope. The energy we had, this this frenetic, you know, on fire energy was 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 kind of uh, struck by his uh, energy, and oh, okay. it 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 had a, it allowed us a different swing uh, to 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 the music, and we felt like the swing, the the, the hammer. Um, this album seems to be called Mjolnir, um, in reference to the the Norse term for Thor's hammer, uh, but also and because Thor is on the album, he definitely plays a great part. And also one other person who plays a huge part uh, in the sound of this record is the individual who produced it, and Martin that's Martin Busey. Yeah. I noticed that. Yeah, we we, we synchronized on on his name there. <laughs> um, you know, he's an absolute uh, sound maven. He's a little magic man. I mean, he's not so little. I'm only a few inches taller than him, but just the way he seems to become a part of his mixing board and become a part of the uh, the tracking room as he runs in and out to make sure he has you as comfortable as possible. Um, he just morphs into this small wizard in his magical land, and that land is BC Studio. Uh, his stories about the place uh, then, as I was born in 1978, to um to you know fully expose exactly uh, in, in August of 78 on a Tuesday uh but the point is you know BC is are starting to make magical wondrous sound there in 81 when yeah. I'm just three years old and the area the Gowanus area then of Brooklyn is as he said overrun with dogs and wild and 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 overrun with gangs like the movie the Warriors there was mm -hmm. really like in the streets. yeah, yeah well, uh, I, I talked to Martin actually I mean I had him on here I had him on the show oh so so I got oh, the history. Okay. I did the research. <laughs> I don't okay. know how everyone everyone else might not know. So it's fine to to kind of go off on, on it and explain it a little bit. But I mean, Martin BC is a legend. I mean, his studio is legendary. Was worked with so many amazing artists. And you even not only have you worked with Thor now on this on this record, but uh, you know, in relation to BC Studios, I mean, uh, you were there for the thirtieth and thirty fifth anniversary. Was it that 35th. compilation? They did? Yes. Right. So you were yes. part of that and you were part of his actual film documentary, The Sound and Chaos, which I've seen. Yes. So it's, 
I'm 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 thrilled to hear that you know the entire story. I'm glad you 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 cut me off at the at the turn there. Uh, but with with for us to converge uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in a nice way. Um, but so it's a very it's very impressive that you had this ability to be in that studio because it is a legendary studio and it's definitely known for its sound. Um, and you have been you've been there before. You've actually recorded uh, two other records there. Yes, yes. Night of yes. the Fights and Man Bites Dog. Is it? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it was it was an act of uh it was an act of God or the universe or just the weather. Um, I guess you could say that brought us into BC's orbit. Um there was you got a hurricane. flooded in there. You you got flooded, you got dra like drawn in. <laughs> we all got flooded together. Um no, there was a hurricane that hit uh Brooklyn in October of twenty twelve. Hurricane Sandy uh really nailed and drilled Brooklyn at the time. Paul and I had a practice space um, uh, down in the Gowanus area, about four or five blocks away from BC. We had never met BC. We didn't uh, know BC was, uh, you know, that close and accessible, but we knew he was down there. And I, of course, being a encyclopedic music fan first, uh, oh, okay. like, you know, I was like fully aware of every, you know, of so many, not every, so many, you know, CDs, records, so many pieces of art in my house where he had his fingerprints on to begin with. So we were very mm. aware we were practicing near BC, but we hadn't met him yet. Um, we weren't quite sure how we would. And then Hurricane Sandy destroyed a lot of Brooklyn, including our practice space, which was a few blocks away from his recording studio. Right. Um, so we got the call from the practice space owner, come on down. You know, it's been qu quite a calamity has occurred. Many people have lost a lot. Come on down, um, you know, go through the destroyed gear. We, we just didn't believe it could be, but there was a huge surge from the Guanas Canal, which is already like fetid, disgusting, toxic, um, wastewater to begin with. Yeah. So sludge. Yeah. So it, it destroyed the back wall of the studio and just destroyed this whole like one floor, nine room studio, like nine rooms with like four bands sharing each. You're talking about 30 bands losing all their stuff, plus the oh. owners losing. So oh, Paul yeah. and I went down there on Halloween of 2012 to drag our gear out. Uh, at the front door, they gave us like masks and gloves because uh, the toxic sludge. And as we dragged all our broken gear out um, of the studio and laid it on the, this, the sidewalk before us to try to figure out, is there anything salvageable? Yeah. Um, I noticed uh, over Paul's shoulder some a, a diminutive figure walking down the street with long hair um, and some, you know, winterish coat, seeming to just like case the place to take a look at what's going on. Um, mm. And as he got closer, being a crazy music fan, I noticed him. I'm like, I'm like oh my god, that's that's Martin BC. That, that's Martin BC. Oh boy, and I and I'm and I'm one that can sometimes I can't keep my mouth shut. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and 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 most times it works out well for me. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, sure. But I, I, yeah, this time it worked out well in that Martin responds uh, um, well to he plays well with others, or at least you know those that seem to come off as some psycho, unhinged psychopath calling him over. He at least was open mind to. As I was like, "Hey, Martin. Hey, Martin," and he's like, "Do I know you?" And then I I explained, "Well, no." But we know you and we love right. you and your work and we're this band and we just lost all our stuff and so did that band and that band and we're mm -hmm. all in this together and we bonded with him on the street during that moment. Uh, and he he had said, you know, he, he had suffered some damage over by his studio, but, you know, maybe, you know, we'd connect at some point. And that right. was the beginning. That was the seed. That was the seed. And that was October of 2012. 
And we started to uh, be a part of BC's world then. We played some shows opening for his band. Uh, and then we went to Europe with him opening for his band. And that was a big, uh, you know, mm -hmm. that was a big egg cracked open by Martin for us in November of 2013, um, yeah. which led to us going back there five or six times on our own after right. that. Um, and then in 20, uh, 2014, a night of the fights that was the first one that we did with him that came so it's been this really great beautiful organic relationship where over the last decade we've done a lot of work with him um nice. luckily and he yeah. plays a great large part in the how effective this new album I, is i was gonna say because you know we were, were talking about thor harris initially being the the collaborator this third member if you will uh on the project but but martin playing an equally kind of important role and so kind of like the the uh, you know rounding out the, the the quad core that is uh cinema cinema on this project so it was it's pretty interesting you know i mean the album's very good i've been listening to it a lot um and i and you know kind of listening specifically for those elements because you know i mean it, it it's a great album just for anyone being introduced to to the group because regardless of you know uh where it was recorded and, and who was helping you make it it's a you know I don't know how to describe it exactly. I mean, it's just, it's just, it, it's captivating, you know? And so, and so now going back into the, the catalog, it's, it's really impressive to kind of hear the progression kind of getting to where you are. And we'll get into that a little bit later as far as like where you are and, and so forth. But um, going back to Thor first, uh, how did you meet him? So the way Thor comes into our orbit uh, is this, um, it's wild. I mean, to, to trace it, to, to really trace it back, um, early on in our career, uh, and this this ties into the album that we're going to talk about tonight. Actually, okay. uh, right. if if we ever get around to it, I don't if, know. We'll yeah. see if, if we feel you like know, it. Sure, if we feel, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> but the point is, um, uh, when I was a kid, I was highly affected by the album that we're going to talk about tonight, uh, and I was also the kind of uh, you know young, crazy, drink it all up type of fan that loved liner notes and loved. Um, loved all the information all the mystique that was involved in the pre-internet era of music so ultimately uh when i had read where the album that we're going to talk about tonight was recorded and who engineered it i i always as, as years went on hoped to maybe uh to maybe work with that person or go there so ultimately i'm talking about don ziantara who's the engineer of the album that we're going to listen to tonight and it was recorded at inner ear studios in arlington virginia um which was a hub for a lot of other music the, the discord records catalog a lot of it was recorded there uh, a lot of that stuff helped to shape um a lot of my young um music uh mania so the point mm -hmm. is uh when paul and i were a young band about a year or two in we made one album and we ran around and we said we played as many shows as possible in 2009 we did 100 shows alone that year uh it was a wild year we just said yes to everything but the point is sure. uh we made a demo of a bunch of new songs and i got up the nerve to look up inner ear studio and don z and tara and we sent him a demo tape saying we'd love nothing more than to come and record with you and um, we didn't we we didn't know how it would work or, you know, we, we just anticipated everything being something that's gate kept um, as being a Brooklyn band. So many things are here right. in New York. I mean, so everything is gate kept. But Don was really receptive and wrote back right away, excited about what we sent him. And it was this initial extra, you know, dose of lead into our pencil that made us really believe in what we were doing too. And we had this really ambition, ambitious project of recording like 13 songs and hmm. we wanted to go for a week and 
he was okay with it. And he let us actually sleep in the pantry at inner ear for uh, six of the seven days on the seventh day, we got a motel room and washed up. Uh, and then we mixed. But the point is, at the end of that crazy experience of recording with Don, uh, we were such a young band, we didn't even know what to do next. We wanted to like believe like, wow, making an album in such a great location with such a great engineer producer is going to amount to everyone wanting to know about it. But the fact is, you have to get people to know about it. So Don recommended us being a young band. Um, maybe we, we might want to see if we could hire a publicist. And we were just like hire a publicist that sounds really like like i gotta put on a shirt and tie like are we good looking enough to have a does a publicist tell me like i should have my scarf like maybe i'll have a steven tyler thing i'm not trying to knock any of it i don't know why i'm making it into some stupid easy joke like that i have better material uh it might come out later point is we okay. were just like publicists mm. and don yeah. said he was really good friends with what he considered to be a great publicist named howard wolfing uh oh. and howard was an individual that don played uh in one of don's first bands with a band called under heaven that they had started in like 1978 or so and don pointed to a picture on his wallet in the rear and he's like see that guy right there with the bass in that picture that's howard in that's our band howard. under under heaven nice. i really trust howard he's a good person and he works with weird outside stuff and he also is open-minded like myself in that he'll talk to you if you know you don't have the biggest tail dragging behind you, knocking sure. everything down with your, you know, uh, name. So we left there with a recording we believed in in Howard's phone number. And that was back in like 2010 or 2011. Oh, wow. And uh, Howard since? Yeah, uh, yeah. We, we got in touch with Howard then. And Howard uh, jumped right in with us and helped to start to steer us then. Uh, at the wow. time when we jumped right in with him, we were hyper aware of his uh, amazing catalog of uh, uh, of artists he was working with currently, let alone the ones he had worked with in the past. Um, but, you know, being new to that whole world, you know, <laughs> you, the best thing to do is not to make wild assumptions. So we didn't. We never thought there would be any relation between us and other artists he worked with. And we didn't expect that. We only hoped he would do his best to let people know in the press world about us. Sure. Uh, but as our relationship grew and he's been like fighting for us over the years and he's worked all of the albums since shoot the freak ep um he i guess he he's told some people behind the scenes check these guys out he probably right. has recommended yeah. to us to a few people but it just so happened in late 2017 we heard from thor out of nowhere uh and wow. i had seen i had seen that iteration of of swans that thor was in that was just coming to an end about eight times in that period of time live i know paul and i saw them together at least twice mm. um okay i didn't anticipate us ever hearing from Thor, uh, I had just been at a Swans concert, one of the last ones they had here at Warsaw in, in November of 2017, where he was talking to Martin, who's my friend, five feet away from me. And out of respect, I didn't go over and say, hi, I'm me. I need to talk to you. I, I There was no introduction there. I wasn't going to force an introduction. I was shocked a month later when he reached out saying, Howard, sent your stuff to me and i think that it's cool you know I, I hope that you know i see you live or maybe we'll play together someday hmm. and it, you know nice. me and paul were very excited and uh we as paul and i are prone to do we we're we're chasing this uh we're like floating in space and we're chasing a rock and there's no gravity but like we're willing ourselves towards this rock so when thor mentioned being interested in playing with us um we kicked that can and kicked that can until there was a time that opened up where he had um, he had some work he was doing in the Brooklyn area 
and Martin had some time open in his studio. And Thor and Martin had worked together years before, so Thor was even more enticed at this idea of let's converge at Martin's place. I haven't been there, you know, in years, uh, and and let's create. And Martin was excited. Thor was excited. We were excited, yeah. and that was how Thor uh, came into our orbit. Nice. So it was this organic process that that and, occurred and, and that we're completely really serendipitous for. too. That's crazy. Just because like because yeah. uh, it's hard enough to book studio time as it is. I imagine it's hard enough to book time at BC studios and, and yeah. then to have him there. It's just like perfect. That's amazing. It was a Wednesday afternoon in June, the middle of the day. It was hot. A time when all other you know, all other times we'd be at our day jobs doing what we do. But instead, uh, you know, the, the universe shifted the 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 opportunity presented and we all dove on it um and that's why I, I had to mention martin's involvement because martin was really helpful it was it was a good synergy and it was serendipitous as you said yeah and now uh, and so now you had just mentioned how uh you had also been able to work with another kind of legendary uh engineer producer and studio inner ear studios with Donzi and tara who recorded this album as the engineer and uh, in that studio. This Fugazi is what who we're talking about, and In on the Kill Taker is the album, uh, released in 1993, and it was recorded at In Your Ear Studios, uh, Donzi and Tara on, on the board, uh, engineer, and Ted Nicely as the producer, correct? Nicely and Fugazi, I think, together might be um, credited right. as produ production, sure. but in the least, yeah. Z, Z and Tara is definitely uh, noted as engineer. Yeah, and, uh, and so now you will also have recorded a couple of different uh records or you know projects in that studio with don as well right yes 2011's shoot the freaky p 2012's manic children the slow aggression full length which is 79 minute um insanity back uh we were trying to i don't know who we were trying to be the recording recording there that grew directly out of the album we're going to talk about tonight Okay. Um, I can say that it grew directly out of that. That this the album that we're going to talk about tonight was instrumental in, uh, in 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 turning my head to a number of things, uh, and one of those things was taking note of where it was recorded and, and who recorded it. But for oh, yeah. me, that was sure. so important to know, and the name stuck in my mind. Yeah. And to, to 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 circle it all to to present day, um, just as recent as you know. Uh, there's a new book that's out uh, about Inner Ear Studios. Um, it's a picture book. It's released by Akashic Books. Uh, they do a lot of real great stuff. Um, so I believe it's called The Inner Ear of Donzi and Tara. It just came out in June. And there's a book tour that uh, that is occurring. And um, this really, really great moment happened. Our, our relationship with Don grew over the years where we've gotten to know his his family. He's had us, you know, stay at his house. Uh, it grew from sleeping in Inner's pantry to the next time it was come sleep at my house. In his house, we slept in the basement, and the basement is what right now has re has re has been repurposed into what it originally was, which was Inner Ear. The inner Ear was in yeah. the basement wow. of Don's okay. house when he did the Black Dots. Uh, Bad Brains uh, recording in 79. Wow. Uh, yeah, the, it was originally set up in his basement. So, uh, ultimately, it moved to a facility and the facility facility closed about maybe a year or so ago and it's back in his basement now. He's doing select projects, but we've right. slept in that basement. Um, nice. We've become very close to Don and just as recent as a few weeks ago at um, the, the book 
that just came out where there was a panel. It was Don and Guy from Fugazi and Joe from Fugazi hmm. and um, Antonia, who's the photographer from the book. Um, and at the end of the engagement, when I was saying goodbye to Don, um, he was very, very affectionate and loving toward me and kind of opened up a floor for me to have a comfortable conversation uh, with Guy and Joe um, oh, wow. about my um, my history with Don, etc. And to not only just interact with them as their gods and I am their minions <laughs> level, but for a second for them to look at it and as like, Don is talking to this crazy kid like he's someone sure. that Don likes. Right. So yeah. I'm going to maybe listen to this kid, even though he's going to be wild eyed and tell me how much he loves my like they were. Right. They dealt with me, let's say that way, in a way that made me feel, um, you know, handled with a bit of care um, by absolute gods to me. And that was just, right. uh, you know, that was just a few weeks ago. And that's like, holy cow, you know, like to be anywhere near that whole uh, family and to be um, accepted and moreover by Don, who's like the father of it all. Um, what a great gift. And, and when right. the opportunity to come on your show and discuss an album that was important to me or relevant or yeah. just... And, you know, whether it was, you know, knock me out or I didn't like it, whatever it was that it was going to be, I, I, I started to get attracted to things that were like milestone albums for me that I consider sure. for me. Like, I'm not on and the it, album, but it's a milestone for me. But, but you, uh, you 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 were there. You were in that studio. I mean, granted, years after the fact. But I mean, like, one of my questions for you is going to be like, what is the, like, do you feel the magic in that place? Considering you've been in in your ear, the proper studio, and you've been in the original and and existing in your ear in in Don's actual home in his basement, like like how much magic is there? It is pure magic. It's pure magic. You can feel it. You really can feel it. It's it's there is. I didn't understand that magic appears when everything gets to the point of calm, and that's when like fast happens, when slow starts. Like Don wants you to be yourself. And mm. there's a real feeling of play um, <laughs> there. I know we went under the impression like he's Donzi and Terra and he worked on all these Fugazi albums and everything else. And oh right. boy, what's this? What, you know, what is he going to do to us? Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, he wanted us to make sure that we got ourselves sounding how we sound when we play together and we're practicing or on stage and are most comfortable right and he was very very explicit about us like not being too worried about being so tight to the chest about that we went in like we got to get this stuff done he was just like breathe you know right. just yeah. you know you, you you sent me a demo you have the goods you know we're gonna yeah. do this so you're, you're here yeah. just take your time and do it right just yeah re re focus on what you're doing not on like how much time I have and like, you know, what's, what's next? Like, you know, all of that stuff that everyone stresses about. Yeah. And he also, he's, he's a marathon man in that he'll, he, he like, he, he does, a, it's a 12 hour session. Like Don will mm. roll in at, at 1 PM and Don will work <clears throat> with you until 1 AM. Might there be a break where make an extra coffee? Maybe you didn't think you needed, but just to change that space, you know, like to, to yeah. allow room. There is no rushing there. And there is a real, real feeling of of magic in that like the the the, the walls have seen a lot, 
the walls uh, the walls have produced a lot. Uh, I mean, and they've absorbed. They have absorbed all that previous energy, and God knows what else. It, you know, I mean, it was so it was such a mind blowing dream come true when the dream came true for us. And like I said, I, I don't want to act as if we slayed a gatekeeper here or we were like handpicked in some way. Don is a working man's engineer, brilliant recordist, and he wants to work with people that are excited to do what they're doing. So mm. I, I'm not trying to play it off like, you know. We're the only ones who ever did this. Like he's, he was open to working with us and we were very oh, fortunate that. in that respect. And we were also willing to hop on it, go down there, you know, like put it our first priority, pay the bill. You know, it's not like, it, you know, it, it did cost something. Yeah. Um, we got to cut to tape, which was something that was mind blowing. Our first sessions there, we cut all to tape. We couldn't believe it. Like it was, uh, it was 2010, and he was like, yeah, we, "We were cutting to tape," and then he was dumping it over and would mix it digitally. Um, nice. And his mixing process too. I, I'll say, like for instance, there was this song on Manic Children and the Slow Aggression called "It's My Party and I'll Die If I Want To." It's the last song on the album. It's yep. a wild one. Mm -hmm. um, I I was at the time. Uh, you know, just getting my bearings along and don't know everything that I need to know about being in the studio. And especially what should be obvious is that I don't need to have my amplifier pumped to an insane level per se in order to capture what I need to capture. I'm not trying to overpower a small room in a crowd. I'm in inner ear, you know, like, I mean, it's all good. So Don was trying to explain to me and I at the time was like a uh, a volume nut thinking it must be a certain way. And and Don wasn't fighting me. Don was just like, I want you to set it the way you want to set it. And on that song specifically, while we were recording, I went over and adjusted the volume and like turned it up and like looked at him. And instead of him <laughs> like looking at me like, why would you turn up an amplifier that we've mic'd halfway through a take? Are you are you as stupid as as you look no he didn't you know he he accepted it he looked at me yeah. like okay um and to be honest with you i feel like that portion that there's a certain like when i'm doing a palm mute in between this like chugga chugga of of chorus part there's mm -hmm. a there's this high pitched um feedback that i was hoping for i can't say that i achieved the feedback i was aiming for because that's like trying to say like I made that sneeze feel like I wanted it to. Like, it's just, it's out of my hands. Every sneeze sure. is the same. Feedback is feedback. I don't know how to manipulate it to have it sound right, but turning it up kind of worked. And uh, Don, you know, could have really poo-pooed that. And instead, huh. like when we were joking around recently at that reading, he mentioned that, you know, huh. like, and and so he allowed us to, 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 to really get to play uh, yeah. and get at play. But when he got to his, the mixing, um, he said, you know what, guys, let me have a crack at the mixes. Why don't you hang out in the lounge and I'll call you when, when I'm ready. Uh, and okay. it was like kind of like, OK, now now dad wants to do the work. The kids can sure. go inside and yeah, yeah. watch the TV shows. And we went back in to the first mix and we're like, oh, my God, if this is what happens when we leave you alone to mix, Don, then right, we're not going right. to bother you anymore. You know, I mean, well, so that, that's was... pretty impressive because like it, it shows that he that he was, he's, first of all, listening ac acutely to what you're doing, as opposed to just a person that's like, hit the button, okay, go guys, do your thing. Uh, and then then learns kind of like a collaborator, kind of like a person that's in your band, is it's like learns to 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 dance with what you're giving. 
You know, it's just like, oh, you're going to go up. Okay, I'm going to push back a little bit. Maybe I'm going to bring the faders back a little bit, or at least like, or at least he knows in his mind, it's like in the mix, I know where to fix this fucking thing. (laughs) Maybe, you know, so that he he didn't have to be like, no, 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 don't do this because like, we're going to have to start from the beginning because then, you know, just to save himself some aggravation in the mix where it's just like, oh, I got to fucking, you know, maybe splice that tape and kind of, you know, drop the levels like when he turned it up and shit like that. It's just like, no, he just knew what to do. He's a professional. He knew what to do. And and exactly. moreover, his the way we did the vocals on that, uh, I'll leave it at, at, at this. I've never had, uh, I, you know, he he insisted I print him out all of the lyrics and mm. he had them on his lap. And we would stop and go back and at certain points go line by line, not for a perfection, but just in an area where he felt like, you know what? Having having a variation to choose from later on in the mix, why don't we give me that line again? Like he mm. really got like a collaborator, got really in bed with the material when it came down to the meticulous details. Like when it came like I needed to do guitar overdubs. And I again I was very young to the studio, didn't know what to do. And I was using a Marshall head and a Marshall amp, you know, pumped. And I needed to mm. manicure. And he pulled a Vox amp out that I had never used in AC30. And he, you know, he kind of like set the knobs in a way I probably wouldn't have set them. And those of overdubs spoke volumes to the overall contours to the to the face of the yeah. recording. So Don knew what he was doing. Um and he's done a lot of great work. And great. it's a, an honor to uh to have done some work with him. Um yeah. and you know this the album we're going to talk about tonight again ties into that and that's a huge part of my life and, and really yeah. important. So that's why I wanted to discuss it at length with you at length with you further. Sure. Well, thank you for sharing that story because it really kind of puts it into perspective. I mean, you know, I I know things that he's recorded in the past. Like, sure. I mean, you, it would end if you're talking about an engineer, you know, you don't necessarily kind of put the, the, the average listener won't put much weight behind that. You know, they'll just be like, oh yeah, okay. They recorded at the studio. Sure. They recorded this guy, whatever. doesn't matter. Sounds great. But in the perspective that you're giving me and now thinking about this album, which I've just, you know, researched pretty thoroughly, uh, for, by a band that I love and and who I've also done research in the past. I've recovered um, end hits and I've covered 13 songs uh, on previous episodes. So I've always found this band to be uh, enigmatic, kind of very hard to tackle, um, very hard to talk about for the most part. So um, it, it's, hel- it, it's helpful to, to kind of know that, to, to kind of get a, a feel for for what maybe Don's role in this record was and hearing it. And plus, because there's, 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 you know, a slight controversy about it being that they, the band recorded this record prior with Steve Albini in Chicago. And, you know, they weren't happy with the results. They were wise enough to know that they could listen to these, you know, rough mixes. And it was just like, that's not, that's not the right, that's not the album. It's not what we, what we need. Eventually going back to, to Don and his studio where they were familiar, they've worked in the past and, and had great results with, and and you know bring back Ted nicely from uh, Repeater, right? He worked in Repeater, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, you know, so it it, it totally speaks to, to all of that. So um, we should just go ahead and try to get into it. Um, so we're talking about Fugazi's uh, In on the Kill Taker, which was released in 1993. Uh, so where were you in 1993? What were you doing? How did you get turned right. on to this? In 1993, uh, that was the summer I, I would turn 15, um, not long after purchasing this uh, recording. I believe the actual release date is June 30th, 1993. 
Uh, I'm a wild uh, date person. I'm not saying I, I specifically remember that release date. It just passed its 30 year anniversary mark, but I do vividly remember where I was and what was going on in my life. Uh, I had just um, made the decision within the last year or two previous to this that I was focusing all my power, all my strength, all my energy, everything on doing music. Um, music wasn't something that entirely um, spoke to me or intoxicated me until a little bit later in my single digits, I'd say. Um, but ultimately, there I am. I start to learn how to play guitar at 14. Um, my father starts to teach me and I get obsessed with with creating music. And, and at the time, I'm learning how to uh, play Neil Young songs. Uh, and I'm really drinking up all different types of music, um, especially um, I had just I had jumped in right when uh, the the giveaway point of Guns N' Roses and Appetite for Destruction and Nirvana and Nevermind. Uh, it's kind of like that window there with Guns N' Roses when I'm about eight, nine or ten years old really excites me for one of the first times and feels weird and dangerous and I wonder what this music is and I start to look in its direction and it's on MTV in 1989 yep. that's a, a source this is pre-internet uh, and I start to try to find magazines and 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 soak up information like hmm. the, the mystique get information so that, sure. that that's a little bit of the story so here we are um, we, we mosey forward a few years and it's the early 90s and uh, the grunge explosion happens. So um, Nirvana and Pearl Jam are both things that very much interest me and I'm finding any magazines that they're in. In a circus magazine, the same circus magazine, I read an article where Kurt Cobain talked about Black Flag and Wipers and Scratch Acid. Uh, and I also read an article where Eddie Vedder talked about Fugazi, Minor Threat and Ian MacKay all in one little mm. uh, paragraph um while wearing a butthole surfers t-shirt if i remember right yeah um okay. so these things at the time to me uh as a 12 or 13 year old 91 92 these were that was you know i just found my next obsession now i have to find out who black flag is and what what scratch acid is and what's this fugazi and ian mckay ian mckay whatever he said he has a record label okay there's no yeah. internet. I just need to keep my eyes wide open. Uh, sure. And I'm, I'm again, starting to, to read and find anything I can. And these things become like these holy grail pieces. I'm going to record stores for the first times. I'm looking at vinyls. I'm looking at CDs. It was a CD era. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm getting drawn in by all this different, all this different intoxicating, um, you know, like uh, ephemera in a way, et cetera, that all these different, I, I, all these different things that are now not a part of our music experience, unfortunately. But, uh, and um, there I, there I go. It's the summer of 1993 and I'm doing my favorite thing. I took a walk to the closest record store. It's a hot summer night. I have my money from being a stock boy, uh, you know, maybe $15 in my pocket. Uh, I'm at the local Nobody Beats the Wiz, which was an appliance store back then, like a Best Buy, and they definitely had an entire music section. And I'm shocked as I find this CD in the F section, I find Fugazi. And I had read the name and I was intrigued for so long. And suddenly the decision has made itself. I'm, I'm walking to the <laughs> counter with, with In on the Kill Taker in my hands. I don't have context that this is their third or fourth album that Ian McKay, which I'm thinking it says McKay. I don't know that he was in minor threat. 
I don't know anything. It's mm. 1993. I'm 15-year-old in Brooklyn. I don't have an older brother who's feeding me information. I don't mm. have, like, someone in the scene. I'm not, like, you know, magically mm. stepped backwards and shit into some wealth of, like, you know, coolness. I'm yeah. just some, you know, pubescent kid figuring out what I love and what turns me on. And music makes me feel free. It makes me feel excited. It makes me feel like anything could happen and it makes me want to be around it. It makes me want to make it. It makes me feel better when things are bad. So I'm, I know I love mm. music and I'm on okay. this journey end over end. Uh, right. So I, I find Fugazi couldn't be more excited. I look at the cover. It looks like, I guess the monument in DC at the time. I don't know that that quite sunk into me. It was yellow kind of co colorful color. Sure. There's um, a bit of uh, word collage as part of the back of the album that, uh, you know, like really I thought was uh, visual to my eye. I thought very cool, a bunch of word collage and then sunken into the middle, the track listing, etc. cetera. Um, mm. I was I was drawn in and okay. I found myself taking my my few my few ruples, my few pence from my stock boy job and going to the counter and, and paying for it and walking home as quickly as I could. Yeah. Not knowing at all. So then you put it on. You put it so on, then, what happens? At the time, I had just discovered as well the headphones listen. Um, uh, a stepfather at the time, my, my mom's uh, husband at the time, um, had headphones and he would do headphones listens. Uh, and I had, you know, I was very interested in that because you could really kind of get up close and really engage hmm. and listen closely. And also you could put it on. It was probably maybe 10 o'clock at night and I really wanted to listen to it and listen to it loud. So first listen was on headphones. Uh, dropped it in, dropped it on, and I'm immediately, immediately uh, intrigued. Facet squared opens up, uh, and there is, at the time, I, I didn't even know how they were getting the sound. It's basically, it's feedback, but I believe it's a mm -hmm. kill switch of sorts. Toggle switch. Uh, yeah, toggle switch on yeah, the guitar. Exactly. Turning on and off. Turning on and off. And then playing off of that is this like uh, little single uh, string, single note riff, just a little yes. introduction. And suddenly you're just like, what's going on here? I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm very intrigued. And then movement starts to occur. Uh, drums and bass come in together in this kind of way that kind of presents a framework and starts mm. to build a fever. The first 45 seconds or so is this starting from a tiny breadcrumb to there's now a flame and a boil. And I believe at about 45 or 48 seconds in, um, the entire band is at a fury and pulls out and right. falls directly into what is the lead rhythmic figure on the uh, rhythm guitar. Uh, I believe it's either Ian Mackay guitar, which is this, this chugging, interesting riff with a bit of a descending feeling to it uh, that presents itself by itself and then as soon as the vocals are ready to come in a couple measures later they all slam home with it and at the time it right. sounded to me like literally the heaviest most intense important thing had occurred in my ears yet and I couldn't wait to see what was going to happen and this voice comes in shouting at me that pride no longer has definition i'm just like what does this even mean everybody wears it it always fits state invoked by lack of position or something like that i'm just like 
I'm 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 now I'm underwater already. They've got me. The the, the room is filled with water. I I am in the Fugazi fish tank, uh, mm. and I am really really engaged. The song is exhilarating. It was like first round knockout. Like I was, it was a standing eight count immediately. I'm down. I don't know what's going on. I'm intrigued. The shouting guy is saying these slogany like lyrics that I'm into, and I've never been shouted out in such a way that I'm interested. Uh, what's going on? Before I know it, the song is coming on. I'm still thinking about how cool the intro was. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and then you get hit with the second wave. <laughs> exactly. And then you get hit with public witness program. And the, the the one of the glorious things right there comes right at you like a freight train opening, you know, you know, snare train snare hits coming right at you. Right. And then oh, there's a different voice. Uh-oh. Mm. Uh, what's different going singer. on? Yeah. I, I I the last guy was shouting at me and it's a little bit of an acquired taste at first, but he there was so much meaning behind his shout. I, I'm, I'm into it. But this guy, this guy's got a different tone. This guy mm. sounds this guy sounds pretty fucking crazy, too. You know, <laughs> like, and he's going with a little bit more of a tuneful thing, you know, yeah. like and and they just I, again, like the you know, you want what is this sound so good? Mm. Oh, everyone is murdering it. I know that I, I felt like something important was happening to me. Yeah. Uh, that my mind was being opened entirely. Now I'm just trying to give yeah. some reference, like sonically, you know, like I, I then find grunge and the, the Nirvanas and the Pearl Jams and and the Alices and Chains and Soundgardens and Screaming Trees and and Neil Young was a big part of my my guitar learning process. So I'm very open to all of the Neil Young stuff. But again, I've not heard anything yet. In my in my listening experience in the summer yeah. of 1993, like what I'm explaining to you right now, it's okay. cracking my head open. Absolutely, like, I bet like a melon yeah. and blowing my mind. Absolutely, and in the best of ways. <laughs> yes. So wait, now let's go back to Facet Squared. Okay, so you're putting this on, blowing your mind. Absolutely. Um, I want to get into a little bit of the facts about the record. Um, I mostly have facts. Fewer fewer questions than I have facts. <laughs> okay, please. I'm open to any facts. So uh, Facet Squared, <clears throat> an interesting anecdote uh, revealed by Joe Gross, the author of the 33 and a third book uh, about this album, was that uh, this title was created by was created by making an acronym out of the chorus part. So uh, the chorus says, flags are such ugly things. <laughs> so now it doesn't spell the word facet. It spells like F-A-S, uh, F-A-S-U-T. So uh, I guess they took the the the, uh, the the pronunciation of that. So they said like facet. So they took the word yeah. facet, which is a real word, and they were like, "Well, let's call it let's call it facet." And they just kind of threw the squared in there. It's just like, "Well, let's call it facet squared." Sounds sounds good, I guess. You know, for no for no particular reason, just facet squared squared showed up. <laughs> I love it. I never knew what the title was. It was a really great opening song title, like yeah, facet yeah. squared. I'm in. Got to, yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool to think that there's a tie-in and that there's more behind it. Of course. Well, I mean, if, uh, maybe of course. Who, who knows? I mean, it's it's so strange to to, to name a song, uh, especially when it doesn't necessarily derive from anything. I mean, this band, from what I've learned doing the research about this album, is notorious for holding on to just like random like working titles forever until like maybe the moment before it goes off to press or something, and then they'll change it for for a reason, like. uh was it? It's one of the quieter ones. Was it "Returning the Screw" that starts off? It sounds like chimps, like chimps screaming. Or no, something? the one that starts off like chimp, chimp screaming is Walken's Syndrome. 
walk-in syndrome. Okay, so that's that one was second. originally the working title for that one was was chimps because you know, of that that intro. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. When I re when I was doing a re-listen earlier today, and that song specifically, I was like, how do I impart later that this opening, if I have to describe it, does sound not just like a zoo. But chimps, it yes. does. It sounds yeah, like, yeah. you know, chimps or monkeys of some sort, the, the, the screaming and the, 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 the howls there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, so they're just weird like that as far as, you know, uh, lyric naming is concerned. Um, so now kind of turning this around back to you, uh, most of your song titles uh, certainly seem relative to your lyrics from, from what I can gather, from what I understand and what I've heard. Um, but has there been anything you could say that came from somewhere more nonsensical? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think that we might have, in terms of the nonsensical, uh, I'm pretty sure there's a, there's a song that was uh, on, on the Manic Children in the Slow Aggression album um, that we talked about that we did with Don Z called Day Leash. It started hmm. off because we said the riff was the leash. The riff yeah. was delish. Delish. So the riff was delicious. And we were oh. saying, the riff is delish. delish. It's delish. And we just kept on saying, like, like I guess, like, you know, when um, when Chris Farley and David Spade are in the car and they're like, roads, roads, roads. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen Black Sheep. That might be that movie. But yeah, uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure they find a stash of, of the good earth and they oh, might... Uh, I they might roast a bean or two, smoke a sure. bowl. Oh, so I yeah. think that Paul and I, and they're like saying roads, roads. I think Paul and I in the delirious long drive to one of those Plaza Bowl gigs in Richmond, Virginia on a Sunday in 2009 when no one wanted us there and we just needed to be somewhere to play. When we were talking about the new material, we kept on saying, but that one, that's delish. That's delish. And it just started to become delish. And English. we both thought it sounded hilarious. It's not really that funny out of context now. I'm telling you, I have better material. I I, I just, sure. you know, I, no. I don't have it prepared, evidently. Uh, but that then we morphed it into Dayleash. And, uh, you know, and I guess we told the tale of like, oh, it's about an addiction or something. But it really was because we were calling mm. it Delish. Oh, it was okay. delish. So that's nice. that's the one nonsensical one that I that my mind pops to that I've never I don't think we've ever even told anybody that um but it was sure. delish it Who, was who's delish. ever asked is this like that song delish on that <laughs> album that first album here is pretty pretty stellar where, where does that what do you even mean <laughs> tasty nice okay i thought i thought that was like your inner good fella coming out or something like delish. <laughs> that's your delish man i'm i am i am half italian and uh and as is paul we, we are cousins and our lineage is connected by uh, my my mother and his father, our brother and sister, and mm. that's uh, that's our Italian side, the Claro side of the family. Paul's last name is Claro, um, but nonetheless, we, we share that Italian. So there is a little mm. bit of a once in a while, a little bit of this, yeah, okay, a little bit of the old hey, way, hey, hello. Speaking a of which, we're of talking about Fugazi. You know, I mean, hey. this is the band Fugazi. <laughs> exactly. I love this band. I, let me tell you something. I had, I was so wild in my pursuit of all things Fugazi. Um, there Fugazi, was, you mean. 
Yeah, exactly. This plays in. This plays in. There was um, they 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 famously didn't do merch, but there was a there was a shirt that they deemed to be an official shirt that was a shirt that said, "This is not a Fugazi T-shirt." Mm-hmm. It actually was available. You could find it. I found it in Manhattan in the middle to late '90s at a T-shirt and head shop, etc. And I bought it thrilled. I finally found the Fugazi T-shirt, etc. And in 1997, Donnie Brasco came out, uh, a a um, film about the mob uh, with it. Al Pacino and 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 Johnny Depp. Really good, really good. Yeah, uh, yeah. Bruno Kirby and Michael Maxson, Sonny Black, Sonny Red. Anyway, in it, there's a scene where the word Fugazi is utilized right. uh, to say it's a fake of some sort of diamond. I then, after that, would walk around my neighborhood and I would have my Fugazi t-shirt and it would constantly have people say, oh, it's a Fugazi. That was something <laughs> I encountered uh, left, right, and center. It's funny, too, and it, it took forever for me to, I think, you know, I finally saw the Instrument documentary, which is uh, a really great documentary about the band Fugazi that's culled from lots of years of their uh, live footage, etc. Mm. And I'm pretty sure in that documentary, they uh, reveal the... Fugazi is is an acronym itself for uh, yeah. fucked up, got ambushed, zipped in, or something right. along those lines, like a term, a war term, etc. So, yeah. uh, which, which yeah. is not not verified. No one knows if that's true. It's like exactly. they they threw it in there, but they 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 themselves can't even like corroborate the 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 authenticity of that acronym. The mystique. What I love yeah. is there's mystique. You know, it's like uh, that's what's missing. I think a lot. From not not to sound like a forty four year old. That's what's missing from now. I I love now. I love then. I love that I'm alive. Who cares yeah. about my opinions about how I consume things? But the point is, the mystique that was involved, the journey, the the questions that still would arise, or what do mm. they look like, or how do they present this? It was a part of the things that really kind of helped you to get carried away and lost in the whole art of it all. Um, and I feel like that's been a little bit robbed by uh, now. If you find out a band's name, you can find out all this information before you even listen to more than a, a you know a half of right, song. You right. can be like, well, you know what? I, I I know enough. I don't need right. to hear anything. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's 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 tough because you know it's like back then it was a little bit more like, oh, this is exciting me sonically. I'm in. Right. What what more can I find out? And now you know that that shirt you bought was a fugazi. It was a fugazi after all. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> right fitting yeah. all right let's keep on moving uh let's okay. move on to the next song uh public witness program Guy said that he didn't know where he got the idea but that it was essentially about this mythical government program that was established to create a civic surveillance group i mean i definitely got the feeling like uh it was some sort of a commentary on uh, on you know i guess civic governmental you know jury type of things you know it was again uh, Fugazi and the band Bad Religion uh, that I got into not too long after this in the 90s were the first bands that inspired me to pick up a, a dictionary at times when I looked through mm. the lyrics. I guess like the excitement of what the music is doing and how everything is being delivered kind of made me less obsessed about the fact that I, you know, maybe I can't literally say, tell exactly what's going on here lyrically. It taught me a lot about the sequencing or, or choices of sequencing for albums because Facet Squared is this event-like intro song that has a that has like i said a whole 45 second swell until Mm. you know like curtains pull production begins and here comes the color you know and they you know they really kind of like levitate a bit and then for them to pull that in 
and roll over into a second song that comes directly at you and also keeps it short and tight. I mean, if this song is two minutes long, it's maybe two minutes and five seconds. I'm not sure, but two minutes and four. Uh, very close. Very good. Yeah, it's there. There you go. There you go. The uh, the the urgency of these vocals really um, the way his 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 approach and the fact that this is the first song where he's now singing. And that was also something like I said, like that that knocked me over mm. too. like I was. Right caught off guard here and here i am with another vocalist who's equally as strong but but producing something entirely differently mm. uh you know what's going to happen when they interact which happens at different points you know throughout the album where they back each other up but i mean such a fantastic band absolutely i can't i can't deny that um so back to this song uh so the idea that's kind of written in this like kind of philip k dickish type of scenario sci-fi uh um apocalyptic thing that he was kind of writing from uh how, how do you feel about living in that sci-fi reality now it's a wild reality we wound up in now it is i mean <laughs> well, I it tell seems you, prophetic in a sense like i mean you know i mean we're not we're not paid to 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 you know surveillance each other but at the same time we are uh yeah watching each other constantly i, I mean it's all that we really do you know yeah. i mean prophetic for sure i mean there's, there's such an intelligence to to everything that Fugazi did sonically and, you know, and lyrically. Hmm. I mean, it's just, I mean, the fact that the music can sound as just as fresh and just as genreless and just as head and shoulders above much other uh, things that I've listened to over the last 30 years still. But the fact that lyrics could come off prophetic, you like I learned history lessons during this, like smallpox champion, like, mm -hmm. and, you know, like, and the stuff that goes on there with the American Indian, et cetera. Like, this was just like again. I, I I knew I was in. I knew I was in an important class that night. That I bought this album and I turned it on. And like these guys, these individuals are teaching me, uh, mm -hmm. and I need to learn. And and here we are, thirty years yeah. later. We're we're in a surveillance culture, hundred yeah. percent. You know, so I mean, yeah. You literally could not walk down your street, and you know, I mean, if you threw a piece of trash that missed the trash can. You know, I mean, I don't like litter. I would likely stop and, and pick it up and put it back in. But we're not all perfect. We might be having a, a little bit of a rough day. Maybe the 10th mm -hmm. time we might let that piece of trash be on the floor. But, you know, someone would have seen it because everything everywhere is recorded. You have to right. just assume that that everyone knows, you know, right. like you're you're on the record, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I hear you, man. Um, all right. Well, let's keep on moving. Uh, let's get to returning this group. Um, so now I, I have no hard facts about this song, but, uh, according to Joe Gross again, uh, Ian was clearly pissed, but, uh, about what he could not recall at the time that he was being interviewed for that book. So, um, can you tell me about something that really grinds your gears? <laughs> I mean, what, what, what grinds my gears that that way that we're, you know, we've we've suffered the full effect of capitalism to the point that, you know, there is absolutely positively no way, shape or form that there's room for the artistic expression or the artistic side of yourself to have the time that it requires to run freely. We mm. have to we have to have an occupation that most likely is one that has nothing at all to do with any of our loves or likes. Uh, it's just one that has to be in place and occupy more than three quarters of our time to give us just the right amount of money to not have enough money to 
free ourselves from this system that it's created. Um, it's it turns the whole um, like college degree certificate into a scam that keeps you in debt for the rest of your life. I remember, you know, college was a rarity when I was a little kid or when I was, you know, really young, like not everyone went to college, then every single person goes and it's just a way for you to automatically have huge credit debt and a piece of paper that doesn't necessarily get you uh, what you think it was going to whatever occurred uh, in the 80s slash Reagan slash whatever recalibrating of all of the wealth but when everything went tax wise to like, you know, the rich have everything and the 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 working class is poor and we're stuck. It doesn't mm -hmm. seem like there's uh, inroads out of that. And there's so much division now over everything. We just take for granted this automatic um, contract we sign off that most of our life and the real solid, solid living years that we're healthy, uh, we're going to be partaking in this you know, system that we didn't, uh, you know, have a hand in creating, that we don't have much sway in changing, uh, that we constantly are, you know, there's a carrot in front of us that that dangles where we're told we can affect and we can cause change. We're told a lot of things that keep us going on this wheel. Um, it really, you know, it's, that's what grinds my gears. I've, I've, you can, then you come to also love yourself you come to love your prison. You come to find a way to, if you have a job that isn't quite what you like, you find the things that you like about it because you don't want to live a miserable life. You're going to have sure. to go to that place. You're going to have to make it work. There's no way to to work around it. Um, you're going to have to get up and go somewhere and 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 work and be a part of society. And again, I you know like I don't want to you know I I don't I'm not trying to be super controversial and tell people to not like do what they have to do. Do what you have to do. I mean, oh, but it's just to. it kind of feels it feels rough that it's dictated to you know like there you, you is you don't have to tell anybody everybody knows everybody's <laughs> like we're fucked we know it <laughs> we don't talk about it we've just Nobody's accepted because everyone you, you know, don't want to live you don't walk around depressed i don't want to yeah. talk about it yeah, yeah buddy we're fucked man hey we're, we're we're just like living the dream the the, yeah. the the this nightmare of just getting fucked repeatedly over and yeah. over every day that's why I, I i throw myself so far into the music and with such fervor and with everything I have and with all my excitement because all my joy is is really comes to comes to life there in that world and I also don't want to walk around um depressed I I find the the the, the good in it all uh sure. but I definitely you know every once in a while like stop step back and say it, it 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 could be better than this like we didn't have to decide we have to pay for land that no one can actually own we didn't have to decide that like you know if you get sick you're gonna go into debt and die like we, right, right. We, it could be so, better you know someone, so those someone things... got there before you did that's the problem <laughs> yes yeah, some other fucking genius was just like you know what we should do here to make us a, a lot of money and it's just like but no one else will be able to afford it after you do that it's just like i don't fucking care welcome yeah <laughs> hey too bad you didn't Na think of it natural selection bubble yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. The so there's survive, a good, I guess. Yeah, there's a gear grinder. Sorry, I, I didn't get crazy, everybody, but I am certifiably sick. So that was actually yeah. very PG. Sure. No, I and I hear that and I and I agree with you. Unfortunately, it's it's very true. Um, so leading to uh, another equally kind of uh gear grinding and disgusting song, you got smallpox champion. 
which is a great, great song. I fucking love this song. And this was, this is actually only one of the only uh, songs off this record that I knew for the longest time. Because my, my introduction to this record was actually through a promo cassette tape, which was a five track demo that was the same uh, program on both sides. And that's all I had for years. And I would just like, just jam it into the tape player and just be like, yep, play it again, play it again. And so I only knew five songs. And then I only finally listened to this record like not not too long ago, really. I mean, I'm I'm fairly new to Fugazi. Gotcha. Yeah, this song amazing. Never uh, knew the context. Never knew the context of the 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 lyrics in this song, which is you know uh, it's dark. It's uh, it's very much calling out um, you know kind of human behavior and uh, I don't know American settlers disgusting genocidal behavior towards Native Americans. Yeah, you know, I mean, holy mackerel, to, to, to get back to the beginning of what you said, I mean, just sonically, just mm-hmm. as a song, it's a fantastic rendering. I got into uh, this and Fuga- I mean, and Bad Religion and, and some other bands at the time that uh, were making me uh, get a, a dictionary out to try to figure out some of the words that were being used, etc. But to overall piece together the greater meanings of the song at the time like it, it kind of jumped out to me i mean i was in you're you're in high school you're learning a version you know the high school version of history etc but you also yeah. you know like you know there's the, the, the there's there's the <clears throat> renegade uh, cool high school history teacher who like wants to go off record and let you know what's going on because he or she or they don't care this class doesn't care about what they're saying so, you know, it might have been Mr. Wiener. I mean, I'm, I'm not making up a name. There was a I, I went to a high school called South Shore High School in the Canarsie part of Brooklyn. It was a, uh-huh. a tough high school at the time in the 90s. I was one of the few kids that had long hair. Um, uh-huh. I was definitely, um, you know, ridiculed for it, etc. I wasn't quite a part of the, the cool crowd. Not, not as bad as Mr. Wiener, I don't think. Mr. Wiener got it worse. I bet. So like, you know, when we were in his history class, like, you know, everyone hated him. Everyone made fun of him. You know, like, I guess I felt, you know, I felt like I belonged there because at least the, the the teacher was getting it worse. And, I, and I'm sure he told us some American history truths that weren't in the um, in the curriculum. You know, hmm. I mean, and uh, this idea about what was done to the natives that were here. Oh, my God. You know, like we got to always remember you know, we talk about, I mean, I've gotten a chance to, I've got a chance to do a lot of traveling because of music. Luckily, I've done a lot of musical traveling. It's been great. I've been to 11 countries, done like 500 shows all over the place, blah, blah, blah. Done a lot of traveling. People in America are generally, you know, um, often think like other places are scary. <laughs> it's funny when you go to these other places, they really think, holy cow, you're from America? It's you know, it's pretty wild there. Like, I, you know, like, what's it like? Yeah. They like, you know, this is it's this is a scary place that's based yeah. on a lot of absolute insanity. We might have ways to dress things up and talk about them, however. Uh, but, you know, more and more things come to the surface now as time continues to progress forward and more and more people have voices that are heard. And there's more of a continued melting of the pot and and more 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 of everyone come around for fugazi Hmm. to like be on the front line be a dc band you know and be willing to like be political in a sense that they have their own ethos to begin with that they have a stance and a posture and how they do their business 
right. they only play yeah. all ages places. They don't do interviews with magazines because magazines have advertisements in them. Like, who is doing this? Bugazi <laughs> is uh, evidently, yeah, yeah. you know, right. I mean, but the only so band the, to do it for them to have an absolute anthemic pump your fist screaming song four songs into the album that's like it has to do with genocide of the american indian and smallpox being spread to, i mean how how hmm. that can exist but you know it's a fantastic song with a heavy 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 message um but yeah i i, I had to note that like there's that that this the, the closing minute they do this musical shift and this pivot and then they elevate into this so great anthem so and you're just like this is everything that i want right now yeah i hear you man fucking uh, it's powerful i love it love that song um i don't really have a question for you for it um so we're gonna move on to the next thing rend it which also i don't have a question for um the only thing i want to say about this song is that i've discovered something about fugazi and uh deep deep specifically um because i remember specifically speaking to um uh, Joyce Raskin about 13 songs and I was doing the research I was like you know getting getting into that album and just kind of like living it and breathing it and eating it like all day and I was just like there was one song on that album and I can't remember the song right now if I go back to the conversation I can fucking hear it but there was one song which I brought up to her attention I was just like is this a love song like is it possible that Fugazi wrote a fucking love song because I mean like if you really analyze the lyrics I was just like I think this is about like some kind of misplaced romance thing, like like some some you know um, some uh, unrequited love thing, which is totally off brand for for Fugazi. But <laughs> this song, Rend It, from what I hear from an interview with with Guy, um, it was like the only song he didn't have anything to say about because it was like too personal. It was a personal expression, according to to the interview that I heard, and and so he didn't really have anything to say about it, unless he was being asked directly, and no one, and there was no direct question. So, it kind of makes me think, you know, the last line in the song is "My love song went wrong, wrong, wrong," and that's all he had to say about it. So I was just like, "This is a fucking love song. You do write love songs." Yeah, yeah. You know what? That's a real good take. That's a real good take because that that that. I mean. That closing line, my mm -hmm. love song went wrong. You know, I mean, it's kind of describing this kind of like, come to me, be with me. Um, mm -hmm. This kind of on the edge, you know, feeling is being put forth by the narrator. I mean, it starts to rend it. <clears throat> it starts off with this absolutely amazing snare uh, hit slash guitar stab. This it's this kind of it plays games with you. It's just like it's it's it immediately disorients you. It's like a rowdy rowdy piper pokes his 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 opponent in the eyes and like you can't see that that's it's like immediately oh now I can't see and they're they're batting my head against the wall and they to I guess maybe further to convey the intimacy of a love song. Yeah. They 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 clang away in the beginning and put those bells in your ears and then they entirely scoop the music out. Right. And there they is drop. an impassioned kind of plea. Why don't you come to my house? Why don't you drag me right out past all the shit that I said I'm saying? Why don't you cut up my mouth? That's mm -hmm. uh, acapella. 
So right there, there's an intimacy, an engagement mm-hmm. level that uh, that kind of says, you know, I mean, love song, whether it's broken love song or not. Yeah, there's, there's an intimate feeling to it uh, that that does say love song. And also, I mean, I'll say this, that the I'd mentioned earlier, the instrument, um, uh, the film instrument, there's a Fugazi movie. The Fugazi uh, movie instrument has the soundtrack. They released, uh, I believe in 99, instrument came out. So in Fugazi's, right. you know, collection of albums that uh, fits in after end hits in 1998 and before, the argument in 01, which or 02, that's the last one. Um, so instrument kind of, you know, I mean, it, it played its part for me in terms of the rhythm of their releases. I remember buying it. And even though it's a soundtrack and it's called from a bunch of different um, leftover takes, etc., and demos, it, it has a vibe to it. I highly recommend it. But moreover, mm-hmm. there's a demo of Rendit mm-hmm. on that. And, you know, when you really get down to it, that it, it is, it is, definitely a broken sad like you know like post-love type of love song it's this Mm -hmm. really quiet watery acoustic there isn't the big stabbing clanging introduction that's the Uh, thing about Guy's songs the other thing he mentioned in this interview is that all of the songs that he wrote for this album he he start he composed on acoustic guitar oh wow i i never knew that yeah so that for sure that so that demo that demo, wow. all every all the songs that are on this that he he wrote started like that. Wow. So the band kind of like when he brings it into the band, obviously it takes on a whole new life. It, wow. Even in this song, this song itself kind of took on a whole new life. But when you hear the acoustic demo version of it, which is like the initial kind of like creation of it, it's just like you definitely hear, hey, this could definitely be like an emo song. This is definitely like kind of in that vein of the singer songwriter kind of quiet, like really really reserved thing you know and and i think that that's how it seems that that's the way he writes yeah i didn't i, I didn't know that fact it's it's fun to hear it now i, I did know that when i heard the demo on instruments you know years mm-hmm. after hearing the original i i the contrast was huge and i mm-hmm. thought hmm i i wonder the, the process i guess i guess these songs do you know germinate in different ways and some might come just from acoustic but i mean yeah you know, it, it does lend itself a bit to like, I mean, I can understand that, you know, that 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 adds a, a little bit of perspective here. So like a song we'll get to later on, Last Chance for a Slow Dance, that's a Gee song. And that sounds mm-hmm. like something that could have been put together maybe on an acoustic. There's some yep. or it's it, the, the chords that move through it. We'll talk about it when we get to it. But I, I that's guess interesting all of them. To, yeah. 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 To, to connect that. Um, yeah. Gee's Gee's uh, quite a contributor. And Rendit, I mean, both versions are are really stellar, but the the version that that turned out on on as on in on the kill taker, this is uh, it's it, it makes itself known. It mm-hmm. it, 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 re- it resonates. It reverberates. Yeah. You know when he's finally you know my love song went wrong, went wrong, went wrong at the very end. They're lurching and stopping and lurching and stopping and punctuating in such a way that you know he means what he's saying, and the band is making sure that you'll remember it. Hmm. Well said. I agree with that. Um, look, I'm going to skip a couple songs. I'm going to skip uh, 23 Beats Off, not because it's not a good song, just uh, don't really have anything I want to tackle about it. I actually have some stuff there, but it's just, it's a little too, it's a little too much. And uh, and okay. I kind of want to, I want to kind of want to like uh, 
maybe pace through this a little bit faster because we're kind of running short on time. Okay, so sweet and low, we're going to pass to just because it's it's an acoustic. I mean, it's a you know instrumental for the most part. It's a great song, but nothing really there. So the next song after that it would be Cassavetes. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly an ode to John Cassavetes, the uh, iconic film actor and director. Mm-hmm. Uh, leads me to ask your band being called Cinema Cinema. Are mm-hmm. you a film buff? You know, um, it, it it grew from the love of film. It did. Uh, the, the name of the band itself, I'll tell you where it came from. And it comes from a film. Um, a Turkish it, film from 1976? Oh, no. A uh, French <laughs> film from 1993. Oh, weird. Okay. It's just yeah. I happened to find it on, on, like, just kind of Googling. It came up. I was just like, oh, that's weird. Yeah, it's... Um, 1993 uh actually it's 1992 a belgian film from 1992 i saw it in 1993 the uh the film is man bites dog which was uh we utilized that film's title as the name of our 2017 release our fourth album we felt like it was time to finally pin the tail on the donkey in terms of uh you know letting people know where the name of the band came from and that's why we utilized man bites dog as the title in 2017 man bites dog is the film from which we drew our name cinema cinema uh man bites dog is a 1992 belgian uh black comedy a mock documentary if you will uh a spinal tap of sorts but it revolves instead of around a, a failing band it revolves around a failing uh serial killer at the time, my little 15-year-old brain who was finding out about Fugazi and all these other things thought as I watched the movie, like, oh, I think that that'd be a cool name for a band. And I, and I filed it away in my head, like, uh, I'm going to name my band Cinema Cinema one day. Hmm. So follow-up question to that was, uh, does your music have anything to do with film? Or do you ever kind of consider film like when making music? I definitely feel like we're crafting a soundtrack to the uh, emotional the emotional moments of our life um when we're writing being that we don't subscribe to a certain genre i think that when we're creating we're kind of really inspired about the things that grind our gears mm-hmm. or the or the things that happened in our day or the the losses that we experienced or the way we feel about you know being an artist and what that takes out of you or what's happened on the road and what story we never told and what inspiration is burning in our stomach from this or that or the other so it's um okay yeah it's it's kind of like uh yeah the the crafting of the 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 sounds it's a bit like soundtracking our emotions so um I, i know we definitely like to let the music do a lot of the talking we do like to make sure that it has its place uh we've definitely um, made space at times. Our, our CCXMD and CCXMD2 albums, which are our explorations into these free jazz um, leaning territories. I know we reduced some vocals to make sure that the horns could be more the vocals there. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so we've tried to, you know, n- we try to really make space for the music to have its own characteristics that are true to what we're feeling when we create it. And I think that's part of the reason why we're genrefied across five different genres <laughs> you know this album's this way you know i think it, had we had a hit along the way maybe we would have felt uh compelled to make mm. sure we stay in a lane but uh sure. the good thing i could tell you is when you never have a hit you can just do whatever you want you know right. so i mean it was a lot of fun so yeah, yeah it's, uh, we're soundtracking our own little uh, movie that's never been shot yet but it's in our mind Maybe, maybe one day. Uh, I have yeah. another music-related question for you uh, based on the next song, Great Cop. 
the uh, little um, the little blurb I have about this says that one of the oldest riffs recycled from uh, very early days in Ian's music career. It has first been recorded in a demo in 1991. Uh, that can't be right, not 91. For one of Ian's older bands, Skewbald. Okay, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that 91, is, 91 is now, it must be like maybe like 88. Must have been 80, I mean, 80 something. So, yeah. so Skewbald actually uh, started like it was, it, it, they started in 1981. So I'm assuming that oh. must have been it. Must have been a demo around 81. And then again during Embrace's days, kind of came up again in some demos. And then not only mm-hmm. not only until you know '93, finally on this album does it finally make a proper appearance as a full song. So um, I was just curious: Have you ever recycled any old ideas or any old riffs? Huh. Yeah, that's uh, that that's that, that that's a good one. Um, you know, I would say that um, we wound up. When we made uh, A Night at the Fights, there was one song, um, A Night at the Fights is 2014. There was one song at the very end of that, um, our our pre-preparing, pre-production, whatever you want to call it. We spent months and months incubating that material. Uh, It was one of the times where you go into, we went into the studio specifically with a sound in our head and with the songs laid out and arranged very, um, very strict in the structure. Uh, with the night at the fights, we, we've learned to approach different recordings in different ways, uh, and it, and we did that it was the first album working with Martin, and at, at his uh, suggestion, when we went to do Man Bites Dog after that, um, we uh, weren't quite as prepared. He 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 said maybe leave a little extra room for studio magic. Don't bake the cookies all the way you know like uh but with the night of the fights we really baked those cookies and they were shaped <laughs> they were christmas cookies and it was going to have to be a certain color and a certain shape and martin was there to achieve it all with us and as right. we got to the end of the writing um we had started to work on this uh this song that i was calling piranha uh just it's i phonetically at one point was saying the piranha I think like it just because I couldn't get the words, but the word piranha kept on going into it. And I thought that's a piranha is a cool name. Uh, And we really liked it. But ultimately, um, it just didn't materialize and didn't come together. And we usually if something doesn't grow and evolve, if it doesn't lose its tail and grow its legs, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, during a creative process, oftentimes it, it winds up falling back down the drain um you know like it wasn't strong enough to evolve etc but um when we went into the process to make man bites dog the follow-up to that martin had urged us to not be as prepared to not uh cook all the cookies until they were perfect etc to come in with a little more space uh for some decisions to be made um Mm -hmm. in the studio you know maybe even yeah. you know like some arrangement decisions etc you, you wanted uh, to take more of a production role in that exactly album. exactly okay. with, with yeah. man bites dog uh so we had finished doing a big tour um i say big because black flag uh had invited us to open 45 dates of their north american tour in 2014 yeah. um their victimology tour and that for us was absolutely humongous a band that plays basements to 50 or 60 or 75 people usually or bars to 150 people going and playing like house of blues sized venues etc across the entire country that was uh really huge for us 
So um, it just so happened we had done that tour. And at the, the end of the tour, we had released A Night at the Fights. But we had gotten this momentum where we did a bunch of touring in Europe right after that. And uh, a lot of like doorways were seeming to open for us nicely because of the black flag rub and connection. And we felt like we needed to make a new album. Um, we had met a label in, in Europe who had distribution in Europe and they wanted to um, work with us regardless of what we were going to do. They, they were like, we don't care what your next album sounds like we're into working with you. So, um, and Martin was like, when you come back next time, come back, not as prepared. And we were just like, okay, let's uh, let's be crazy and like not prepare too much, but make an album really soon. So we 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 started to like cook up a lot of ideas for Man Bites Dog, and I'd say that we were uh, in the final process the days before we were going in, and we just realized like, okay, we're a little underprepared in that we we need another song at least here. You know, we can't go in with X amount of songs. We need one more, and that's when we remembered Piranha, uh, and Piranha um got a riff added to it and it became a song called run until you're out and run until you're out is uh is a prominent song on man bites dog actually it's the second song uh, on the, the album so sequence wise we put it towards the front mm -hmm. um we made a video for it um it's uh it's one that we we had in the set for a little while so that was uh, a spot where we did recycle something and it turned into a song that we like in the long run so it's nice. uh, okay yeah. so it worked out cool yeah. but you don't do that often i don't think no, no, we're always uh, we always seem to be moving forward. If something yeah. if something doesn't kind of jump jump the curb, you know, it doesn't get too many more chances. We're kind of on to the next one. That's that's how we've functioned um, over the years, and that's how yeah. we work. That's cool. Hey, that works, man. It's great. Uh, we're gonna skip another song. We're gonna skip Walking Syndrome because I just don't have anything for it. Just a kind of weird, complicated song. Not a weird, random history that goes that's involved with it. Nothing, nothing very direct or straight. Um, so instrument, I have a bit of a thing here to read for you. Um, so Ian says, quote, there's a line from a uh, Mississippi Fred McDowell album. Some people don't ever feel nothing until they lose someone in their family. Uh, instrument is a song about that, end quote. So wow. kind of a, yeah, kind of a wild thing to, to think about the idea of wanting an instrument to determine the value of loss. You know, when I, this, this was always one of my favorite songs on the album i didn't quite know why when i was mm. young um maybe be, maybe years later when they utilized the song title as the title of the documentary about the band an extra weight or gravity was added to it for me but i like right. the way the song moves i liked uh i liked the the opening um guitar and vocal intro i always liked the lyrics i i would say that it wasn't until when i was listening to it earlier today when I was looking at the words where I said to myself, I think that this is about, you know, the damage that's done that we don't really talk about when you lose someone because you have to really just, you know, say, well, we all lose people and you go, you have to go through your morning and your process. When I was looking at the words, it seems to, to have some literal stuff in it, you know, right. like, uh, yeah. like we need, you know, like. Like we need to know value, we need to place value in case it all comes true. Like, you know, we have to know if loss does weigh. And I, I was just, I was thinking like how maybe as a 15 year old, I wasn't quite resonating as much with, you know, if loss does weigh, you mm -hmm. know, like, although it's, those words sounded heavy to me, but now as a 44 year old, you know, in the last three years, I've lost my mother and my father. 
Um, you know, thank you. I appreciate that. Again, we all, you know, lose, you know, it's a part of life. You know, we lose people we love. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I, a handful of the characters that raised me when I was a little kid, like grandparents and great uncles and aunts, I've lost them, you know, like, um, etc. you know, I've had my fair share. Uh, but when I think of, you know, like the, you know, how you, how you some, how there, if there's a summation in any way, there, there isn't, uh, really a way to, have an instrument that that takes a measurement. Uh, you know, those those losses do truly have different type of weights. Um, yeah. So it's really, really interesting to to utilize a song to to describe that. And I'm I'm excited that you that you relayed that fact to me. Cause like I said earlier today, I was like, is this about like, you know, like the, you know, yeah. measuring how it is that we're affected when we lose someone? Like what is today how loss weighs that to me sounds like the loss of of loved ones or, or individuals I can't interact with anymore. Like possessions don't matter. Like I'm not thinking about loss, you know, uh, how I lost 50 bucks, it weighs on right. me. That's, you know, that's that's a part of that whole grind that doesn't matter. Right. That's the fake yeah, world yeah. that they fooled me into believing. Right. Um, but like, you know, the real stuff like, whoa, you know, like, and, and the magical thing is like, we all have this shared experience. Like you don't know the mm -hmm. person next to you on the train in the morning, what they're, how much their loss weighs, but it, it's weight, and but and they deserve there. that same. Yeah. They deserve that same space and respect that you want to have for right. your loss. You know, it's a shared, yeah. it's a shared life experience. You know, yeah, so yeah. Uh, even better perspective of it, I think, from 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 what you're saying, and I I imagine it has to do with your own loss. Obviously, you know, you said that you you've lost your parents, uh, and that's a tragic one for sure, regardless of how old you are. And um, but so I'm curious if if you've ever you know tackled that subject in your songwriting. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's um, there's some brand new stuff uh, that I actually was just listening to this morning. Um, we we made a we made a record during the end of what I mean. How can you qualify when the end of the pandemic was? Um, the the pandemic when, when really, it became really, safe to get together again. I mean, or when it was allowed to get together again. <laughs> in March of 2020 everything changed and everything was frozen. Yeah. And I know that we had a lot of things going on and that we were planning to do next, etc. It was March of 2021. A year had elapsed. We had not done a gig. We had not done a thing. And we decided to go into the studio um, and record. Turned it, the first thing we were doing was we were going to make a recording um, because we, we, we had so much inside of us. And that ultimately is going to be the next album um i was just listening to it's it's mixed um it's not mastered and we have to go back and fix something i was hearing this morning but that material comes from a real um real Dark well a real emotional pit um you mean what and, we've all been feeling for the past three years yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly this we really resonates share. with everybody trust me yeah the shared experience <laughs> Uh, there's definitely some uh, some measuring of the loss and how and, and how it weighs in some of that brand new material. Like I can't really talk too much about it yet because it's not sure. even out. But that's sure. where I it, I think it took it took a while, you know, for you know certain you know certain loss, I guess, to to make its way um, into my art. 
Um, I know that like the pit that I draw from deep inside me goes all the way back to the earliest, earliest, you know, gray eyed memory uh, of, of childhood all the way on to what happened just yesterday. So there's there's a lot mm -hmm. that filters its way through. There's some subjects that I've been fighting my way through and some justice I'm trying to find for myself and peace of mind. I'm trying to find when I lose myself vocally in, in some schizophrenic insanity where multiple personalities show up and there's lots of voices talking to each other. This occurs. Um, but it's uh, <laughs> it's it's quite a ride. It's finally now, uh, you know, these last few years, I think losing my parents, um, those losses now it's suddenly has started to seep in to my artistic expression. And that's why some some of the new material um has some stuff that draws on that hmm. so uh maybe you know in 2025 when the next record comes out uh you know and and and, and maybe we're together again uh you know and we're talking about one of the albums i, I thought one of the runner-up albums that i didn't choose mm -hmm. for today sure um we'll talk about some of the stuff where uh some of my art is reflecting some of that loss a little bit more because there's some yeah. material on that new stuff where i definitely am emoting um about that okay Sure, fair enough, and and we'll do that. Um, so just to to wrap this up, the last song is uh, "Last Chance for a Slow Dance," uh, and what I have to say about this is, uh, according to uh, Pace Magazine, it said uh, lyrics mourn a self-destructive person who refused to ask for help, and uh, I don't buy that. I don't uh, completely agree with that statement, as far as you know what the lyrics of this song are, are stating. But I can say this: um, this is a pretty heavy album. It tackles a lot of a lot of heavy subjects from uh, loss of life, love, privacy, uh, or even pride. So, for a person who has clearly been pushing themselves create creatively, I think it's safe to say you've even pushed yourself lyrically. And like we were just kind of touching on, you happen to mention that you already have a new album uh, in the works. Uh, but I was going to ask, where where do you think you go from here? I mean, we are down the rabbit hole. Um, and having fun down here. Um, we seem to, the second we have a firm footing, there's a tectonic shift and plates move and we fall further down the hole and we love where we land because we stopped doing this art thing with the ceiling of expectations a while ago. When we got asked to do the Black Flag tour, it blew our minds and we thought, oh my goodness, like this is it like this is this is the big break and then hmm. for us it was like a it was a huge break and it opened up a lot of doors but what what happened was nothing changed about us as people like not there isn't a plateau there isn't a place that you go you're still the person if you hate things about yourself even when you're doing the stuff that you love and it's at a higher level than you ever thought you still wake up hating those things about yourself. It doesn't go away. And the things you love, that they're, they're still there too. But like there isn't like a thing that clicks and changes. Mm. So our uh, expectations for doing this as if it was a javelin, we're trying to throw the longest way, went away then when we thought, oh, you know, we're not going to go automatically further up some ladder. This is probably maybe as good as it gets. And we can't believe that it's happening. And we're doing this because we love it. And my, my cousin and I do this because it keeps us sane. It's our therapy. Um, yeah. So I think that, you know, uh, once we let go of the expectations, um, it really got to be that falling down the rabbit hole and landing 
you know, on our on our behind and it hurts at first, but you thought you like where you land is where we're most comfortable. I mean, what's going to happen next is what we're most excited about is what we're going to wind up being gravitated towards working on uh, and pushing and releasing. Right now, we've got Mjolnir uh, that's just freshly been released. Uh, we have a bunch of shows this summer that are going to be promoting Mjolnir all around the, the North Atlantic region of uh, America, et cetera, mm-hmm. New York and the 10 or 12 states that are around New York, et cetera. We're running around. Um, that's on the agenda currently. There might be some shows that have Thor involved at some point. We haven't had oh. any of those confirmed yet, but yeah. we'll see that could be in the fall. But oh. we do have the next album, per se, that I spoke about earlier already recorded, um, it's not mastered yet. It doesn't have a title yet, but we have a lot of concepts and theories and ideas. And aside from that, we have a, a large amount of home recording material as we both set ourselves up during the later portion of the pandemic with home recording setups because we just had to join that uh, that movement as technology has become a lot more widely available mm-hmm. uh, to to make your own stuff outside of amazing studios like BC studios and inner ear studios uh so we have a large amount of really different sounding material that we're working on in that capacity and we have brand new material we've been playing live that's a part of another album that we haven't recorded yet that we talked with don z about maybe going and doing in his basement now that inner ear is in his basement to kind of come back and close the circle a little bit with don yeah um, which could could very well happen so What's coming up next is we just celebrated our 15 year anniversary this year and we almost wanted to dip into our archive and make like a long five minute like mini tribute to that. And then we realized, well, we're going to be around at the 20 year mark if we're both alive because we have another album recorded. We Uh have a bunch of stuff we've been recording at home and we have a new one that we're writing. So we have the arc and we're following the story. Um, So I think what comes next is more of what we do, which is, um, you know, giving everything we got, um, you know, following our mission, uh, which is to see this through. You know, my cousin and I realized like it's not about getting anything out of this anymore. It's about giving our music back, whether people want it or not, that's up to them. But uh, this great musical stream that we've made uh, many, many cups of tea from. Uh, mm-hmm. We've we've uh, siphoned plenty of uh, sustaining cups of water from the stream. Uh, we're 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 pissing our music back into the stream, whether it's coming up as a sustainable water or urine. I'm not sure. You hate it. You like it. It's yellow. It's clear. I don't care. Uh, but we have feel that we need to bring back to the table what we've fed from, and we're going to keep on doing it because it really makes us happy and sane. Uh, and we don't um, have a specific goal other than the free feeling we get when we play. So what's next is mm. more, more, and, and more, more. Okay. and more. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds great, man. Um, so happy to hear. So the new album is Molnir. Is that how you pronounce it? Mjolnir. Yes. Mjolnir. I'm sorry. Uh, no very, problem. very difficult for me. I was, I was very uh, I was struck struck by it. I was just like, well, how the fuck do I do this? Meow, meow, near. All right. I've had other individuals email me asking if I could send along a phonetic uh, <laughs> spelling where yeah. I, I'll, I'll just write like me dash y'all. Meow, meow, near, meow, meow, meow. So do like a cat, yeah. 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 Meow, near. Dash near. Yeah, there so it's, I understand that you can trip up on it, but it is called meow, near, and it is, you know, available now. Yes. Um, the, uh, 
nefarious industries and you can go to our Bandcamp. Bandcamp is a good way to you can stream it anywhere everyone streams yep. but if you want to buy the vinyl you can go to cinemacinema.bandcamp.com it's definitely available there beautiful perfect Ev uh, it's been great speaking with you man thank you so much for doing this it is an absolute pleasure I look forward to 2025 in the next album cycle and the first yeah. thing I'm going to ask is can I please be on that show again because it's a lovely time Sure, man. I hope to catch you out at one of your shows. Hopefully you'll be coming around this area. And if you do, please let me know. Definitely, definitely will. Thank you so much for your time tonight. What happens is your best friend shows up at your door and everything is changed. Oh, well. Vinyl Envision is a psychic static production. Theme song written and performed by Jeff Robbins of 123 Astro.